so much is shared between cultures just by virtue of being next to each other. Welcome to El Ponte, the Ladino podcast about bridging cultures and cultivating connections. My name's Ivy. And my name is Max. And we are your hosts. Simone Salmon is a PhD candidate in the ethnomusicology department at UCLA, where she specializes in Sephardic Jewish music from the late Ottoman Empire to today. She received her master's degree in musicology from the University of Oxford in 2014 and her bachelor's degree in music from UCLA in 2011. Simone has several online and forthcoming publications in Jews Across the Americas, Smithsonian Pathways, Musica Judaica, Oxford Annotated Bibliographies, the Journal for Synagogue Music, and others. Simone has presented internationally in Istanbul, Essaouira, Paris, and at conferences across America. She is the recipient of numerous fellowships and grants from Foreign Language and Area Studies, American Research Institute in Turkey, Bluma Appel, Maurice Amato, Rotter, YNS Nazarian, Stephen Wise, Lowell Milken Fund, and others. Simone's current focus is recordings of her family from Sephardic Turkey. She plays the oud for several Middle Eastern and Balkan bands and hosts a radio show called Los Bilbilicos about music in Judeo-Spanish. Hope you enjoy our conversation with Simone. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey with Ladino and ethnomusicology and maybe what are you doing right now? Where are you? What are you hearing right now? (laughs) (laughs) Sort of a leading question. So I'm in Istanbul right now. I'm I'm here to do an intensive language program. Um, And going on behind me is the call to prayer, uh, which I think it's not being picked up. Um, But the the call to prayer here, um, it's in Arabic. Uh, because it's religious, but it follows the rules of Turkish makam. So people still find ways to do really artful things with it. Um, And the sound is reminiscent of what you might hear in a Sephardic synagogue. And that's because uh, in in the Ottoman court, there were musicians from a bunch of different Ottoman nationalities that were uh, working together. And then they would take that to their religious places and their homes, etc. Well, can you can you uh, describe what a makam is for our listeners that may not be familiar? Sure. So a makam, like a simple word to describe it, is a scale. Um, it's a set of notes that you play within. Uh, but a makam also has uh, sort of idiomatic um, phrases, or uh, perhaps it starts high and it moves low. Some start in the middle and they move up, and then move down. Some start at the bottom and they. So there's different directions that it goes. They, they have they each makam, and there's many makams. I mean, over 100 makams, perhaps over 200 makams. Wow. Uh, they have their own characteristics. Very cool. Wow. So this call to prayer is in the Turkish scale, in the Turkish makam? 
Yeah. And there's different macombs that are used. At, so there's, they, they pray five times a day. And in the morning, there's a macom sabah, which means morning. Because our listeners can't see what's happening, can you? Um... Sure. Okay. So uh, this is an oud. <laughs> it is something of a Middle Eastern pre-guitar. So this is what the lute evolved from. It was al-oud becomes lud, lut. Uh, so the oud, it's a uh, it's shaped like a teardrop, the face of it. And then it has a, a neck attached to it. And the neck has no frets. So it allows you to play microtones, which isn't possible in Western music. And what makes Sabah so interesting is those microtones. Um, my favorite song in Makam Sabah, it's called Mendili Min Yashil, but known as Aman Doktor. There's lyrics that are in Turkish and also in Greek. Um, there's actually a wonderful video on YouTube of they're, they're at a mehane, which is like a fish restaurant where you drink a lot of raku and wine. And um, these musicians, fossil musicians, come by. And fossil is actually an Ottoman court suite, but this is sort of a, a later thing that there's some songs from that era, but it, you know, it's more of an entertainment thing. Musicians come to your table and uh, people sing along. People, like everybody knows the lyrics. Oh, wow. So, so People cool. are singing with the Turkish lyrics. There's a little bit of a break. And then a man from another table starts singing and he's singing in Greek. What a, it illustrates one of my favorite things about Istanbul, which is that you have a lot of people that are living under different uh, ethnic groups, different religions. And there's a level of respect for that sort of plurality that is is not felt in America. I mean, it's such, such a deeply respected thing that when you ask people, why do you like to listen to Armenian music if you're not Armenian? Why do you like to, to learn Greek songs or Roma songs? Um, people don't know how to respond to that. It's not something that you ever question. The you know? question doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Like, exactly. Why would I not want to listen to this music? Yeah, and when you think about the the past in um, Ottoman musikis, what they called it, it's uh, their historical art music. Um, the composers came from different millets. There were Jewish comp composers, Armenian composers, Greek composers, and of course, Turkish composers. It's amazing. Wow. Yep. So this is one of those those songs. Right. Yeah. So where does like Ladino come into that, or at least in particular Jewish music come into that, um, that sphere? Ladino music often uses makams that exist in Turkish and Ottoman art music. Uh, 
sometimes it's very simple and then sometimes it really goes into complex things. Um, there's a Ladino song that I'm thinking of that's in Makam Segya, for example, which uh, it, it's, it's not something that we're used to hearing with a Western ear. So that really interests me. What makes it different or what makes it um, something that Western ear wouldn't necessarily know to, to pick up otherwise? So about traditional art music here, it, it's made up of melodies rather than something that is sort of stacked together in chords, which we hear in Western music. It, it's made up of melodies and it's made to be complex because it has pitches that are in between the notes that you and I are used to hearing. Um, so, for example, in um, the span of an octave, which uh, for those who uh, don't know music so well, you have one pitch and what is twice the frequency is the octave. And uh, within that, there's maybe 36, 42 different pitches that can be used. Now, they're not all used at once, of course, but um, it shows the the degree of the um the microtones that are used in Turkish music. Yeah. So this is like a little lesson on music theory. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't, I don't have any knowledge of this. So this yeah, is because great. in Western music, they're just half steps. Yes. That's the yeah. And they call they call them quarter tones here when they're smaller than half steps, but of course they're um much smaller than that at times. Yeah. I mean I just like that as an analogy that you know, things that we think are set or like, oh, these are these are just the parameters that we know. There's actually a lot mm -hmm. more detail. There's actually a lot more flexibility um, yes. in things that we maybe we are think are more rigid. So I like totally. that. I mean, I, I, I so I'm I'm a, a music theorist in training. So I love the complexity of Western music, especially when you get into different eras and the way that the uh, practice changes and I was always into structural analysis and then I got interested in Turkish music because there's so many more possibilities which I was not aware of like for my entire undergraduate mm. you know yeah my entire time there yeah so when were you first exposed to like this kind of music before I can remember, <laughs> I think. Uh, I was not alive for much of my great-grandfather's life. Um, I probably was a few years old when he passed. Mm -hmm. But he would play the oud, and he often played Ladino songs, and he would sing them, and my great-grandmother would record him. And even after his death, she would be playing his tapes, um, you know, just throughout her day at home. Mm -hmm. So uh, we used to drive to Torrance uh, in Los Angeles for reunions and there would be stuff like that playing. There were also, I mean, she had a lot of records that she kept around. So we would hear those too. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. But you didn't start getting an interest professionally or just kind of uh, like playing the oud until later? 
Yeah. Is that right? So oftentimes the 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 generation after that, which is super interested in a commitment to the identity of being Sephardic, of speaking Ladino, of listening to Ladino music, et cetera. Um, the two generations after them had no interest in it at all. And I think that part of this has to do with wanting to assimilate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another part of it is just they hear the music and they think, why is this dude wailing? <laughs> and it sounds weird because it's not in tune, you know, in a Western ear, mm-hmm. uh, is it? And I started to hear that music after college. I moved back to my hometown, Santa Barbara, and I went to a concert of UCSB's Middle East Ensemble. And I there was there was something that they played in a very weird time signature. It was maybe 19 beats in a measure. Oh. <laughs> how, how many are there usually in a measure? Sorry. There can be up to 12. Oh, Usually, wow. I oh, mean, in, wow. in, in okay. Western music, you don't, it gets weird when you see a lot more than that. And mm-hmm. we group it when it's, let's say something's in 10, we even group it into smaller bits when we play it. But um, in Ottoman music, it turns out, I, I once ran into a piece that had 102 beats to a measure. <laughs> So, so within fast, that, how fast did that? It, like, it was slow. And what? if you're the percussionist, there's certain beats that you're supposed to emphasize within a measure. And then this repeats when the measure, when you move to an, another mm-hmm. measure, the next oh. measure. Yeah. So anyway, I, I was interested in, in that. Um, also, I was thinking about the tunings. I, I liked that there were uh, 24 notes-ish in an octave. Um, and I got into, you know, Egyptian music. And then I thought, well, maybe I should start getting into Turkish music as well. Cause that's sort of my heritage and yeah. we have an oud. So I tried to get the oud fixed up enough to play. Um, he has an old oud from Damascus, I think. Um, and I took some lessons. And then when I was doing my master's degree, I was given some money by my college to uh, travel abroad um, and do a little bit of field work for one of the many papers that were due at the end of the year. So I decided that I would go to Istanbul and I went to the synagogue there and got to hear uh, how Makam is used in religious music. When you listen to your grand, your great grandpa's tapes, do you are, are you analyzing them differently, or are you do you still feel the the I don't know how to say this, but like the connection that in 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 like a in like an intrinsic way, or is it more of an academic connection now, or is it a mix? So I I mean because I was so interested in structural theory for so long, whenever I listen to music, I'm analyzing it. Um, but there are ways in which I feel connected to it as well. Um, I, I, I got into the, the idea of working with these tapes, which are in the Ethnomusicology Archive at UCLA. I wanted to use the intangible to 
give myself a sort of tangible understanding of the lives of my great grandparents. Mm. Yeah, and these um this is Isaac and Emily Senny. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I feel connected to the music because I can sort of travel through my family history sonically. Um, and I can place it in different times, different locations, because they're recordings of various family events. And on some of the tapes, they're actually um, recordings of my great-grandmother. She would send one of her grandkids, for example, a tape of her speaking uh, rather than to um, make a phone call, let's say, all the way to Germany or something wow. like that. An OG and, voice note. <laughs> yeah, really. It really is. And also in the in the collection, you know, they, they had such a big record collection. So there's um, commercial recordings and there's there's recordings that were distributed internationally. There's also stuff by Jack Mayesh, who was a musician. Uh, people say that he was like Greek Jew. He was from Kushaldasu, which is a town um, in the in, in Izmir. Um, and he had his own record company in Los Angeles. Um, and then of course there's, there's um, the recordings of her husband. So you can actually like see her love of music echoed across the, the tapes and then the notebooks. And the, these notebooks um, are, she, she would uh, transcribe the lyrics to Ladino songs and she would go around asking people um, what are your lyrics to Mueve Meses, for example? And she would try to compile them to make the um, the longest and most comprehensive version of the song that she could. So her notebooks actually have lyrics that are mixed from, say, parts of the Ottoman Empire, but also Central and South America and Mexico, Cuba, um, and other various other places, say North Africa, for example, where Sephardi lived before they came to America. Mm-hmm. Wow. So she was kind of an ethnomusicologist in her own way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she really was an archivist. Yeah. She, she would, on her tapes, there were names written and they were the people who gave her the tapes. So mm-hmm. even from that, I can look I can I can look into who lived where in Los Angeles and who didn't live there to see the distance that some of these things traveled Um, they would send stuff in the mail to each other um, and she would make copies sometimes she would make like something of a mixtape it always had Rosa Eskenazi's Rambi Rambi on it (laughs) which actually it's it's in Turkish, there's probably versions in Greek out there too, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a Ladino song, but they loved it. <laughs> Allah 
what an incredible foundation to to work from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You so can actually you- see it also in their cookbooks. Like the synagogues, Max, actually, you write about this. Don't yeah. You? So, I mean, you, you can speak more on it, but uh, I think that they called it the sisterhood, maybe something like this. At various synagogues, women mm-hmm. would compile cookbooks. Yeah. And they would, they would send them to other synagogues, maybe. Yeah. And other people, I mean, just around <laughs> the world, like they would just mm-hmm. get requests. Um, for these Sephardic cookbooks. Um, and they're still I, around. I, I want yeah. to put in a request for one of these. <laughs> yeah. I have an extra one you can have, actually. I have, I have oh a couple God. extras. This is the whole purpose that we're doing the podcast, just yeah. so that I can, you know, acquire all the food and cookbook yeah. related things. Great. Thank you. <laughs> the problem is you have to have a Turkish uh, chai glass and a Turkish uh, coffee, tiny coffee cup mm-hmm. Amazing. to do your measurements i will find those things yeah. <laughs> la it's full of all the things yeah. um okay. that's amazing that is so cool so were i guess were the songs that your great-grandma was comp- what emily was compiling they were in a mix of languages then so you said that it was ladino but then it was also in greek and turkish is mm-hmm. that right yeah and sometimes french were they written in Latin letters or were they le- written in Hebrew letters or what, what was that like? Yeah, she wrote them in Latin letters. I, I think because that's the way that it's it was written in Turkey just before she left. She actually left, um, I think, in 1925. So just two years after um, Turkey, or I guess now I should say Turkey, became a republic. Of course, they started using the Latin alphabet long before that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, anybody born, I think, in the past hundred years, you'll, you'll be mm-hmm. hard to find somebody who writes Ladino not in Latin letters. Yeah. I think the last generation passed away like a few decades ago that would that could write in Solitreo. Um, mm-hmm. so, so I imagine maybe people who are learning it in Israel might write it in Hebrew characters. Yeah, in interesting. Nebula. I don't know about that, but that would be interesting. <laughs> What has surprised you or inspired you throughout your studies? So there's, there's something I can talk a bit about. It's that the um, tradition or sort of process of contrafact. So contrafact is when um, something new is imposed on something extant. Uh, so, for example, there's a famous song in Turkey, and, and I mean, this is this is sort of a quintessential Turkish song called Üsküdara. So it goes, Üsküdara giderikan, da 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 right? And this song is, it can be found in Turkish, like Serbo, Croat, Bosnian, Albanian, Bulgarian, Macedonian, Greek, Romanian, Hungarian, Arabic, Persian. Indonesian, Bengali, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
Um, and I found a version that was written in Ladino. And I think that the lyrics were actually composed by Isaac Senny. Oh, cool. And deconstructing the lyrics, there's also metaphors in there. And sometimes it can be really hard for me um, to figure out what an idiom means. Mm -hmm. But uh, luckily, I asked my uncle, who's Italian, about a, a certain line. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, where the syllables fall because it wasn't written out in sheet music. So I can I can try just to sort of fit it in where I think it would sound good. <laughs> so um, Üsküdar is a region in Turkey. And um, and the, the first the opening phrase is when I was going to Üsküdar. So in the Ladino version, they call it Eskidar. Um, and Eski means old in Turkish. So I'm, I'm not sure why they put that there, but perhaps there is a relation, um, some other language. <laughs> so, uh, okay, it goes. Eskidara yo paseando mapri en un gajo. Eskidara yo paseando mapri en un gajo. Vide una niña cantando me pareció un pincel. Vide una niña cantando me pareció un pincel. So I'm not a singer. So. No, I love that. Thank you. That's beautiful. Yeah. So, so there was a phrase in it that I was having trouble understanding, um, and I'm looking at something that is published online. Actually, um, it's called the the blog is called Conversations, and it's on the uh, Herb Albert School of Music website of UCLA. So, there's an expression in Spanish that means that somebody is well dressed or dressed to kill. Um, Estar hecho un pincel, and in the lyrics, it says, Me pareció un pincel. Um, she was cute as a button, I guess. <laughs> how you can translate that. Uh, there's also a version of this song. It's not in Yiddish, but it's a klezmer song. Um, and they changed the melody a little bit. So normally it goes, dun, da, 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 da. And in the klezmer version, it goes, dun, ba, da, 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 da. So they're referencing Hatikva, and you see little things like that in different versions of, you know, these these adaptations of. Yeah. What is sorry? What is lyrics in them? Uh, that's the Israeli national anthem. Oh, okay. Well, good to know. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and even in klezmer music, there's this like the Roma Turkish influence too, like the southeastern Europe. That song is called "They're Turk in America." And to them, a Turk, um, like T-E-R-K, it was a rhythm that went dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, something like that. And for the record, um, for our listeners, but also for me, what is klezmer music? So klezmer, um, it comes from the Yiddish words kve and zemer, um, which means vessel of sound. Uh, klezmer was actually the person who played klezmer music. Um, and it was a music that developed among Ashkenazim in America. Oh, so what is so what is the music called for the Sephardim? Like, what is the so there's klezmer music for the like the, mm -hmm. from the Ashkenazim? What is the 
I call it Ladino music. I mean, oh. because I'm working with stuff in Judeo-Spanish, but you can say Sephardic music. I don't know. It's there. There aren't as many genres, I guess, as um, there are in Yiddish music. This is opening a whole a whole new world. <laughs> but there are a few kind of stand like a uh, well-known. Not maybe not genres of Ladino music, but types of songs. Right. Yeah. So there's romances, which they tell a story, um, and there actually is the the number of beats, the way that they match up. There is a formula um, mm. for that. The syllables in the um, in the lyrics. There's also cantigas, which just means a song. <laughs> Um, but later you find other genres that make their way into Ladino. So there was a Ladino revival in Turkey. And during that time, they would take tangos and foxtrots, things that were popular at the time, and then put Ladino musics, sorry, Ladino lyrics uh, on top of those melodies and sort of make their own Jewish version of it. Mm -hmm. And that was usually um, used as parody, but made popular at the same time. Hmm. Very cool. The the song Miserlu, what would that be? Miserlu, to me, it's always, I mean, you know, we first learn of it as being Greek. And I always thought of it as sort of a Balkan melody because you hear it in Greek music, you hear it in Turkish. Like, of course, there's lyrics in both of those. Um, but I, I especially love the song Miserlu um, because I grew up in Southern California um, actually, my dad's very much into surf rock. He lived in Manhattan Beach, like sort of in the midst and, and also in Orange County when all of this was um, forming. And there was a guitarist in it who's quite good. His name is Dick Dale. And so Dick Dale's version of Miserlou, um, maybe we can insert it uh, yeah. in here. Yeah. Uh, he plays it really fast. And he does this technique that, um, you know, it... it it was something new when he did it and it was called double picking, um, which is when you bring the pick down to the string and then back up again. And it's actually a technique from the Oud. And it turns out Dick Dale is part Lebanese and his oh, uncle wow. taught him Oud. <laughs> I did not know that about him. And that's crazy. <laughs> Right. So yeah, the so melody also made its way into Arab music because actually, um, so Misr means Egypt. Mm -hmm. um, so like in Turkish, it would be Misr Le, which is like a person from Egypt. And then in Greek, it's Miser Lu because it's, it's the Lu signifies that it's a woman, etc. So it literally means like the Egyptian. Egyptian woman. Yeah, Egyptian yeah. woman. Yeah. And I wonder too, I mean, Jack Maesh recorded a version of this song in Ladino. Um, and it's about suffering from love, which is actually probably it's, most Ladino songs are about that. Pains associated with loving somebody. And I wonder if he actually flirts with um, misery. Like yeah. me, what is it? Me like you, you wither me like a flower, right? Yes. 
I love it. So dramatic. I love it. Very dramatic. Um, I mean, that that's a Ladino song. <laughs> I love I love that. That's so interesting. I, wow, it's fascinating too about like how, you know, surf culture and, and how, how basically things really spread across and music transcends and evolves. And Yeah, and it's just this way this like uh, Mediterranean Balkan melody has become associated with surfing. Yeah. In the yeah. U.S., like, <laughs> like Southern California surf culture. And it's like totally. nobody could have expected that. <laughs> and also, you know, it was the opening track in Pulp Fiction. True, though. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> well, I didn't even put that together. You are right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. I love that. Ladino coming through wherever it can. <laughs> <laughs> transmission and transcendence can you tell us a little bit about your radio station yeah so for some time I um I hosted I was the host and programmer of a radio show that I named Los Bilbilicos and that was out of a station um called KCSB that was in Santa Barbara it's actually on the it's a public radio station um, it's on the campus of UCSB, but it's not just for students. So I applied to do my show there. Um, and at first I had to have the 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. slot. Oof. And then, you know, and then you can move up the ranks. And eventually I had the show going during prime time. Oh, awesome. Amazing. And yeah, yeah, what? it was fun. I mean, I would make a playlist beforehand and Usually I would um, burn two CDs and have the tracks alternating between the two CDs so that you can fade them into each other. And I would, of course, organize it so that um, they were in the same key or the same macam or at least the same pitch connected the songs. And then I also would sometimes like put a record down and, you know, do something like that. Mm -hmm. And these were all Ladino songs or you mixed it with other things? It began as just Ladino, and then it sort of evolved to be Sephardic music, mm-hmm. um, including like North Africa and the Middle East. And then it evolved to um, to be music from lands that were once part of the Ottoman Empire. <laughs> I really wanted to add Balkan stuff to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I've spent a lot of time in Turkey, I've bought a lot of Turkish music. So there's a lot of Turkish music that also just is on that show and yeah. stuff in Bosnian and other yeah. languages. <laughs> what kind of instruments are, so we know about the oud, but are there other instruments that are predominantly used in Ladino or Sephardic music? It's a funny question, actually, because 
Sephardic Jews are now distributed sort of all over the globe. Um, and people pick up the music traditions of their surroundings. So you hear Sephardic music played um, often like in, in the Western areas, they'll play it with a guitar, um, but people play it with, you know, whatever, whatever they have around them. I think that guitar is used so much though, because they want to refer to Spanish music. Um, oftentimes there's like little flamenco yeah. uh, motifs that are inserted, <laughs> but you know, out here, um, I would say more people are playing it on traditional instruments than, uh, than people in the West. I mean, okay, this is kind of funny to use, to use the word traditional in, in traditional instruments. Ladino. Ladino music was just a, a voice singing a melody. Maybe there would be some type of percussion behind it. So um, mm. it becomes a, arranged in different ways in different places. But I would say that the famous Ladino musicians today, at least in Turkey, um, mostly use Western instruments. And that's just because that's what, what is sort of more accessible now. Um, I spoke with Jacques Essim of, um, you know, I guess we would say Janet and Jack Essim. And he actually was inspired by recordings of Isaac Seni. Um, he mistook him for another artist, Haim Effendi, who Isaac oh, would emulate. Interesting. And from those recordings, he learned songs that he later recorded. And he was a guitarist. So yeah, that's how it's accompanied. But you said something about like the, the singing and some, maybe some percussion. And so maybe mm -hmm. you could say like the voice is yeah. the Sephardic. The voice is the instrument. <laughs> and I think that's connected to because in traditional Judaism on the Sabbath and other holidays, it's forbidden to play instruments, musical instruments, mm -hmm. like in the synagogue, traditionally. Really? Wow. And so for most of, you know, Sephardic culture and Sephardic life, especially in the Ottoman Empire, before the 20th century, you couldn't have an oud or anything like that in the synagogue. So really yeah. it was just the, it was really just the voice. And also these, these songs, so many of them were written by women because Ladino was the language of the home. They didn't learn Hebrew mm -hmm. and it was a way that you could, um, you could connect with other women over it, but also you could teach things to your children. Um, through the songs. And when you're teaching your child about chores and things like that, um, <laughs> you're using your hands, you know. And also, you know, there's, I, I heard something from a friend of mine once. Um, I think she was in Palestine. She was going to buy an oud and uh, somebody said to her, that's a man's instrument. Mm. Um, so, you know, depending on, on where you are, a lot of people still think this way. Um, and I'm sure people thought that way in the past as well. Yeah. But what, so what our listeners can't see is that Simone's Zoom background 
is a group of maybe what is it seven women play with an oud with ouds. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, yeah. This is from the '30s in a place called Izmit, and it was a all female oud ensemble. It was at an institution there, and you know, I, I put it up there because I play oud. And <laughs> I want to be in like a girl band. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. My dream is like a girl Smirnaika band, which is like Rebetica that's in the style of, um, of Izmir, um, Rose Eskenazi, people like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Do you have a favorite, this might be impossible to answer. Do you have a favorite song to perform um, or to oh kind of analyze different performances of um a ladino song you mean or i mean it could be ladino it could be any also we should note that you play the harp very beautifully oh thank you um yeah i've been playing the harp for i don't i don't know if i want to count maybe 28 years (laughs) uh no 20 let's say like 25 years okay um i always wanted to do this project. I wanted to do a second master's degree, actually. So um, for my thesis, for my master's degree, I it was it was in organology. I actually wrote about this instrument called the chromatic harp. And um, it solved a number of problems that exist with the harp that is dominant today in classical music. And there are pieces that were written for it. Um, and they're not playable as they were written on today's modern pedal harp. So I wanted to have, um, I, I was in England at the time, actually. So um, I, I wanted to apply to the government there to get grants to have someone British build a chromatic harp. And that's actually very hard to do because you have to, um, you have to be somebody who works with wood and somebody who works with metal there's two planes of strings that cross through each other and mm. there's not equal tension on each side. It's a, it's a really hard thing <laughs> to do, but, but, you know, I wanted to perform, to perform uh, the same piece on both harps and to give lectures about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so and right. so, yeah. So cool. I think yeah. the, the, one of the famous pieces is called, um, uh, it's by Debussy and it's his dance. Also, Ravel did a famous piece uh, for that harp, Introduction and Allegro. Yeah, but do you have a favorite piece to play on the oud? That changes mm-hmm. a lot. Well, what is it right now? Uh, okay, right What's, now. What song is like playing in your head all the time? Sara Gelin. Um, it's a song that. I don't know where it originated. It's been highly politicized. Um, the melody is shared by uh, Turks, Armenians, um, Azeri. Like it, it's, it's. There's a there's a propaganda video from Azerbaijan. It's like really one of the top ones on YouTube, um, where they show people all over the world singing this song mm. and it's sort of you know mash together and and it has the country under the singer's name um army is not on that list <laughs> but uh my favorite recording of that song is actually people um 
for the Turkish version, people like Sezan Aksu. I like um, the version by Selda Bajan because it has a super cool bass line. Mm. And so I'm, I created a little band here while I'm in this program. It's just with members of the program. And so we're going to perform that. And with the oud, um, when you're in an ensemble, you, you don't just play the melody, you play the bass and in spaces in between where people sing, you insert little ornaments, flourishes. And um, I try to strike a few chords in appropriate places in a tasteful way. Yeah. <laughs> where is, the chord is really heard, you know, yeah. in, in everybody's head. Is there a lot of improvisation in this kind of music? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like the microtones kind of lend lend itself to improvisation a little bit. I kind of connect the two. I don't know if that it so improvisation is. I mean, it's it's sort of a basic thing about music out here. Um, there's something called a toxim, which is sort of spontaneous composition. Um, I don't want to just use the word improvisation because it's actually there's a lot of rules that mm -hmm. you have to follow. You have to do it in a really artful way. And you often modulate between macombs. And um, macombs are split into chunks. And that's those are called jinses. And often you will use one jins um, that's shared by two macombs to pivot to a different macomb. And of course, sometimes you'll do things that just sound nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and that moves you to a different macomb, or you you quickly uh, go back to the one that you were in before. Yeah. Um, but anybody can work really hard and do a lot of impressive technical things on an instrument. But out here, a really good musician is somebody who can improvise in a very artful way. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to have the knowledge of all these macams. Yes. To be able to like yeah, transition between different ones. It makes mm -hmm. me wonder too, you know, you said about that video that's been very politicized. I wonder about the idea of like ownership or accessibility mm -hmm. or people who wanna get involved in playing this type of music but don't necessarily have the background or the what is I can give you my opinion. Yeah, please, please. How, yeah, how do you be sensitive and also appreciative without causing a war? It sounds cheesy when I say this, that music is something that transcends borders, but you'll see musicians from different groups that hate each other and they'll play together. This is a really, really common thing. Um, and when it comes to ownership of a certain melody, so much is shared between cultures just by virtue of being next to each other. And also so much came from an area where the states that claim it today didn't yet exist. Hmm. Um, or maybe didn't exist at that time. Maybe they existed before something else was there. And then, so I'm thinking of Armenia in this case. Um, and there are versions of this song that um, I think reference the idea of an Armenian ownership 
So they'll use uh, an Armenian instrument called the duduk, and this is a really valuable instrument in um, in Armenia, and it is used to represent them in music. Mm-hmm. And it's still and it's still used in the song. Yeah. So actually, the the recording that I love by Selda Bajan, she um, has somebody who plays that as the the introduction to the song. And it it makes sense to sort of acknowledge it in that way because there's in the lyrics um, she speaks about Erzurum, which is in Turkey today, but it was an Armenian area uh, at the time. People can attribute ownership of songs depending on the nationality of the composer. Mm-hmm. It gets messy when you're talking about anything that came from areas of, you know, that were occupied by the Ottoman Empire and were written during that time. In Ottoman classical music, for example, like you you have composers of every millet. Um, so, and these, and these aren't thought of like, oh, this is a Greek tune. No, it's just classical music. I love that. I love that idea of, of, of music as uh, shared and transcendent. There's a book by Benjamin Brenner called Playing Across the Divide. And that's about Israeli and Palestinian musicians that are in bands together and sort of how um, that they transcend. They find a way to make music transcend this conflict. Part of the reason of this podcast for like why I, I really wanted to, to be a living archive of a language that's endangered and also to, as the title informs, to really bridge cultures and cultivate connections. And yes, it sounds cheesy, but who cares? There's so much divide. There's so much separation and there's so much this versus that, us versus them. And so if, if there's a language or a means to create and cultivate connection, not to sugarcoat because, you know, genocide exists. There's a lot of not peaceful things that exist, but I do feel like there is also a way to exist in a greater expanse than just the destruction. And I feel like Ladino Mm -hmm. has the capacity for that. And like music, that's why we're, I'm so excited that you're talking with us and sharing this and beyond the the shit of the world, excuse my language, connection does exist and and cultures are coming together and imagining this all together is, is powerful. What else is exciting you about the music, the languages? What what else is bringing you, you know, m- motivation? Um, there's a few projects that I was working on not too long ago, and ones that I'm working on currently. Um, one that was a year or two years ago, I made um, with the help of a lot of musicians. 
uh, sort of online music video that had a bunch of Ladino tunes in it. Or, I mean, I guess it, to say that they're all Ladino tunes, we're talking about ownership right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a tune, Los Gizados de la Berenjena. And the next tune uh, was a melody that's Turkish. Um, the, it, the song is titled Yamor Yar Tash Yustine, and it's in it, Minir Nuretin Selçuk, who's uh, an artist that my family really loved. They had a bunch of his records, and now I have their tapes of his records. Mm-hmm. Um, his version of it was just so cool that I really wanted to learn it. And so I wrote some Ladino lyrics for it. And oh, wow. we performed those. And then uh, after that, there's the song, uh, and um, that also is a product of Contrafact. Um, the chorus is in Turkish, which that's something that they often did was they would leave the chorus in uh, the original language. And and then, of course, like because Rambi Rambi was such an important song in my great-grandparents' lives, I also made it Ladino. I took some poetry that I found in a book um, of Sephardic poetry, and then I just put that on top of the melody. That's so, so cool. Very cool. That's one thing. Um, something I'm working on right now is uh, a Ladino English online dictionary. Um, so this is really a Turkish project. There's yeah. The National Ladino Authority, um, they, uh, there's representatives from different countries called Shararim. So uh, Los Shararim, those are the people who are working on this dictionary. So um, it's going to be on wordreference.com and that they have an app um, that has like really an extensive amount of bi-directional dictionaries. And we want to incorporate Ladino into the database and for it to be accessible and free to everybody. Uh, the person who's leading the project is John Everensel. He's the youngest Ladino speaker in Turkey. Um, another person who is working on it is Karen Garchon. Um, she works, of course, for the, uh, in the Ladino section of one of the newspapers in Turkey and also for the Ladino newspaper. And she is a singer. She's compiled sheet music before um, for the the Mofturim collection, but uh, she also is in a band, Los Kashar Sefaradis, who've made a number of records in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Actually, in the end of July or perhaps August, some part of the dictionary is going to be published. Um, we want to have 30,000 words in it, but uh, right now it's just, you know, a word and its definition. We're going to add example sentences and, and things like that in the future. Amazing. The other thing I'm working on right now, of course, is my dissertation. Um, so I'm part of the dissertation is I'm uh, analyzing these old recordings of Ladino music from Los Angeles, but really it's about um, Jewish music under Turkish and Ottoman influence. So um, I'm looking into the lives of Sephardim in Istanbul and it's it's a complicated thing because you you mix anthropology into it. You know, ethnomusicology is anthropology and musicology. And life is really an unimaginable 
thing for Jews living in Turkey right now, living under Erdogan's rule. You know, this is a secular country, but it's flirting with theocracy. And they're living essentially under Muslim Muslim rule. Um, and they're also living under a government that has been so unsuccessful um, <laughs> that really their actions have bled into the everyday lives of Turkish citizens. So there's an expansion of political control over institutions and dissenting groups. Um, three quarters of the population is in very deep debt. And this, of course, affects Jews. And, and also there's a, an amount of anti-Semitism here that's rising. And I've actually witnessed it myself even though I don't live here. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, also in Istanbul, there's a lot of Israelis um, who, you know, for an Israeli, being, being a Jew is not necessarily something that they think about <laughs> that often. You know, it's just a given, you're a, you're a Jew. So um, there's a trend right now, which I'm really happy about, <laughs> um, of like Ottoman music, has become kind of trendy there. So there's a lot of people who come here, especially in the summers to study it. Um, and so I get to write about the sort of classical music scene as well as um, the folk music scene. I can write about Ladino and I can write about stuff with Turkish or with uh, lyrics in Ottoman, which is a language that nobody really understands. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like historical, but also like a contemporary analysis yeah. amazing yeah so cool are you still doing the cantigas muestras yes um yeah cantigas muestras is a singing ensemble in los angeles uh, we sing in ladino it's now the only ladino singing ensemble in la um and it's more of a casual thing that's why i don't use the word choir but um <laughs> choir i'm the director of the ensemble yeah it's choirish. <laughs> Um, I direct the ensemble and, you know, most of it is like people suggest a song and then I go and I put it into sheet music and, and then I bring it to them and I teach them. So we have an extensive repertoire and the ensemble has a history. I don't know how long <laughs> at this point, 10 years, maybe, um, with the UC Ladino group at UCLA and uh, UC Ladino does these annual symposiums. I was the director at one point. Max was also the director at one point. Um, and, and we have them perform. That's how I got connected with you because I went to the UC Ladino conference a couple of years ago and saw mm -hmm. you all perform and it was amazing and not knowing Ladino at the time and not even, you know, like myself, it's like, oh my God, I want to, I want to, I want to learn this. And I think I asked, I, I don't, I asked you or Nora, one of the members, it's like, how do I, how do I get involved? They're like, oh, come, you don't have to have any singing experience, come join. And I went, mm -hmm. it was amazing. It was so, so cool. Just like how everything unfolded and you're fantastic. You're such a good, thank good you. leader and yeah, you're welcome. So yeah, well, we want to thank you so much, you fantastic. know, connecting across the world. You're in Turkey very busy with your language program. 
we're so happy to have you and it's really been a treat. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Merci mucho. I loved this interview. It was so mm -hmm. interesting and informative and I learned a lot and had fun. Yeah. Both of us know Simone from several years back mm -hmm. in Los Angeles in the Sephardic scene here. Sephardic scene. Um, and yeah, it's great to hear her talk about music and to, you know, nerd out a little bit about the details, which I love because the music theory is something that I wish I knew, but I don't. And to hear it from somebody like her is great. Yeah. I knew nothing slash still feel like I know nothing and I'm learning so much. It was awesome. I liked how she explained the the differences and, and how she made it really digestible, too, of, like, understanding that a scale, you can really understand where music is from based on the scale that it's conforming to. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, don't musicians, don't come for me. Hopefully I said that right. <laughs> yeah, and I think, like a language, there's a lot of kind of archaeology in the different parts and layers um, of music, like there is in, like, Ladino. You know, you have a sentence... And, okay, here's the Spanish part, here's the Portuguese part, here's the Turkish part, here's the Hebrew part. And I think with music, like Simone was saying, you can, if you know what you're listening for, you can find all of those things. Yeah, and also the, the interesting aspect of omission, of how music can be very politicized based on what's not included, and then vice versa, that it can be extremely inclusive based on what, what it includes. And, yeah. And, and the way in which it's performed or the instruments that are used was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that was what she was emphasizing kind of in Turkey today about it's all just part of the same repertoire, this Armenian, Greek, Turkish music. Um, and from what she's saying, like, it doesn't sound like anybody bats an eye. No. Like, this is just... It's just how it is. Yeah. I love that. It's another it's another platform, it's another like modality of for Ladino to be transmitted in a way that is so normal. Yeah. And music is much more accessible, I mean, in so many ways than language. Um, you don't have to really understand the words necessarily to appreciate a song. That's true. But I know for a lot of people, like Ladino music is a gateway to Sephardic culture and to the language and to so many things. And I think one of the things that most people, or the most common thing about Ladino that people might know are some songs. Yeah. Some music. Absolutely. Um, like usually, in, at least in Jewish organizations, Jewish holiday things, there's maybe like a token Ladino song, like Ocho Candelicas. Um, by do you want to give a, a I'm little... I'm not going to sing. <laughs> Come on, Max. Give um, the people what they want. But this is kind of just like a little historical detail that I think is funny. And that happened to me, too. Because I always thought Otra Candelicas was like a traditional Hanukkah song. Just about, it's about just lighting candles. It means eight candles yeah. for, for anyone who's... Eight little candles. Yeah. The ikas um, at the end of Candelicas, yeah. But it was written in the 1980s. Really? By Flora Yagoda. Um, but yeah, I mean, that just speaks to like new Ladino music being written. 
Um, and there's so many great musicians and all, all different styles too. Like all Ladino music is not doesn't sound the same. Yeah, um, that's something that was interesting too. Like ex- I think I had maybe expectation of it sounding a particular way, but she really made it clear that there are, what did she say, like hundreds of scales, right, that it can really fall into any anything. And while it would fall mostly into like an Ottoman-style repertoire, it doesn't have to. That You don't have to be within those confines. I'm also excited for her to start her all-female oud band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the front row of those concerts. I guess. Sounds yeah. very cool. I also loved... Speaking about her great-grandparents, Isaac and Emily Senny, and I've heard some of their music. I've come across it in my own research because they lived in Los Angeles area. But it speaks a lot to that connection between the personal and the professional. And so many people in the Ladino world, active in all parts, have that similar dynamic. And you know, I think everybody has their own... Everybody comes to that dynamic with their own approach and their own sense of balance. And, yeah, it's not always easy. There's no clear way of drawing the lines. It was also really interesting to hear that her grandma was, in essence, an archivist as well, or, you know, set the framework for Simone's exploration into ethnomusicology because she recorded everything and because she labeled everything and 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 organized it so well um, that it really was like a map for future generations to discover, which I think is really mm-hmm. beautiful and sentimental, but also um, important for the for the legacy, I guess you could yeah. say, of the language and and of the music. And I also love these kind of homemade amateur recordings. I mean, there's professional musicians in a certain way. But these feel different than commercial recordings that you'll get on a a CD or an official album. For Simone, it's interesting because the Ladino side took her to Turkey. And we were interviewing her while she was in Istanbul studying Turkish for the summer. And some people, Ladino takes them to Spain, you know, studying Spanish. Other people go to Israel, other people go to Greece, or either in real life or, like, in their interests, wherever their interests go. Mm -hmm. And So many places, (laughs) the Balkans, Egypt, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of like a palace with all these doors to different, all these portals to different worlds. Totally. And, you know, just from this little bit of talking to Simone, it's like that portal that goes to Turkish music is an entire world. And I love it. I mean, personally, I like this. I like that kind of music. I think the oud and those microtone sounds, the different than Western music, it's very creative. It sounds, I love the focus on improvisation, somebody who likes that in Western music. She said to be careful about using that word, though, oh, right? Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Well, improvisation around, yeah, no, I'm you know, just... it's like structured improvisation. Totally. I love, too, that while we were Zooming with her, the um, call to prayer was going on around 
outside. And while we couldn't hear it on the Zoom, unfortunately, um, she was explaining that it's interesting because in Istanbul, the call to prayer, which is a, a, a Muslim practice, um, actually is done in a way that conforms to the, the Turkish maqam, which was super fascinating. Yeah. And the call to prayer um, is in Arabic. It's not in Turkish, which, you know, it's the standard language of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was, maybe I mentioned it in the interview, but I only was able to visit Istanbul for a few days many years ago. But the first time I heard the call to prayer there, I'm like, this sounds super familiar. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> I had never heard it before. Yeah. And it was because it, the Turkish maqam sounds like like Sephardic singing. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I heard it, it made me feel very comf- made me feel comfortable. Like, and like home? Yes. Something like recognizable. Yeah. It's like, and you know, somebody who doesn't speak Turkish. Or Arabic. Yeah, or Arabic, who's not Muslim, um, who had never been there before. And who didn't really know anybody. It was really kind of amazing to get that little sense of familiarity. Um, and, of course, you know, the food there and the, the climate and the, you know, the interpersonal connections between people. Yeah. We're all really familiar without ever having been there before. It's amazing. I think that's the beauty of language and music in general because it really transcends borders and, you know, transcends sentiment so you can you can really feel connected and also connect with other people based on and it outlives people and it outlives empires and nations and still resonates with us Mm -hmm. and still is interpreted in many different ways Mm -hmm. and is both traditional and belongs to like a people or a culture but also is open to everybody. 100%. It's just really magnificent. And I think Ladino music has the added component of being in this diasporic, multifaceted language. So it kind of exists in so many different places, so many different times. And so I think Ladino music, even long after the last native Ladino speaker passes away, I think Ladino music will have many afterlives. Mm-hmm. I mean, many lives. Yeah. Um, and so that's one thing that me personally I'm very excited to see in, in the years to come is just how this, how this kind of performance, how this kind of music evolves and, and you know, what people do with it. Absolutely. And I don't know that some, some people are teaching their kids Ladino as a first language now. Um, and I wonder if, you know, if there are any musicians out of those those kids that when they grow up will create a whole new repertoire of Ladino music, which would be pretty amazing. Yeah, so we're excited to see what the future holds yeah. for Simone and for Ladino music in general. Yeah. It was such a treat interviewing with Simone, and I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we did. As always, if you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at elpontepodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at elpontepodcast. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you soon. Mm-hmm.